0: Well, good morning. It's uh, terrific to be with you here today as we look at what Jesus is saying to us here today. So if you have your Bibles with you, please keep them open at Matthew chapter 13. Thank you very much, Matthew, for reading us that message today. And immediately we're struck by how straightforward and down to earth Jesus' teaching really is. It's so simple. We wonder, how can anyone not get it? So simple. Whether we have a green thumb or not, we all understand how seeds grow into plants. I mean, it's just obvious, isn't it? If you scatter seed in a rock-hard path, it's never going to grow. Seeds planted in a rocky place will wither and will die. Seeds planted among thorns and weeds are going to struggle big time about how heartening it is to see a flourishing plant bearing a heavy crop. It warms the cockles of my heart to see that farm down in Horsham with a beautiful crop in the good soil. I think it's safe to say that we all want to flourish in life, to be truly alive, to be fruitful, in the midst of the ordinary rhythms of life. The real question for us today is how? How can we flourish and be truly alive? Is it even possible when we're feeling so overwhelmed, maybe even wilting under the heat and pressure of life? This parable explains the difference between feeling spiritually dry and spiritually flourishing no matter what circumstances that we currently face in life today we're starting a new series called hidden in plain sight hidden in plain sight and in this series we're looking at some of the parables that jesus taught in the gospel accounts of his life. Jesus would use these very simple stories to explain what God's kingdom rule was like. But even though these parables were so down-to-earth, many people didn't get the message. What's going on? Why were there so many different responses to Jesus' life-giving words. And that's what we're going to find out today, why there were so many different responses to the parables that Jesus taught. To set the scene, Jesus was going around the region of Galilee proclaiming good news. We see in Matthew 4.17, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The first words that Jesus spoke in his public ministry. This electrifying message caused a huge response in the hearts of thousands of people. Is God's rule finally breaking through into our dark, dingy lives here in Galilee? Jesus was teaching what this kingdom rule was like with authority. He demonstrated God's kingship with supernatural power, healing people from every illness. You name it, he healed it. He even brought complete freedom for those suffering from demonic oppression. The Pharisees down in Jerusalem heard about this. They saw this as a direct attack on their authority. They didn't like it one bit, even in that provincial backwater of Galilee, so far from Jerusalem. So they start to challenge him. Back one chapter, Matthew 12, verse 14, alerts us already they were conspiring to destroy Jesus. A few verses later, even in uh, verse 24, they say that Jesus can only do miracles by the power of the prince of demons, Beelzebul. Complete blasphemy. But this highlights that Jesus was a deeply polarising figure. Ultimately, people had to decide to choose whether to accept Jesus or to reject Jesus. And it's the same for us today. What are we going to do with Jesus. Are we going to listen, really listen, to him today or not? And so this sets the scene for today's passage. And in this first scene of this passage, we see Jesus is in Capernaum, a big town on the Sea of Galilee. So many people wanted to see Jesus that he had to hop into a boat on the Sea of Galilee. These people had completely abandoned their daily routine, They just had to see Jesus. What's he going to do next? And so you can just see the picture now. Crowds on the foreshore, hanging on every word that Jesus had for them that day. And so Jesus goes on to share a very simple story that would immediately connect with their everyday life experience. Most people were living in an agricultural society they knew how farming worked. And so let's read Matthew thirteen three. 3. Jesus says, a sower went out to sow. As he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil. Immediately they sprang up. Since they had no depth of soil, but when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil, produced grain, some hundredfold, some sixty and some thirty. Very simple. But Jesus gives a particular emphasis at the end. He who has ears, let him hear you can imagine the response okay Jesus I think I get it I mean I'd love to have this supernatural return in my wheat crop my barley crop a hundredfold. but what's the point what's the point of this story and this is the big question that the disciples have in the second scene of today's reading Jesus why do you speak to the people in parables good question Now, we might think it's because Jesus wants to make things so clear and simple that nobody would fail to get the message. But that's not what Jesus says. He never fails to surprise us. It's just so wonderful to keep being refreshed by looking at what Jesus says. He never fails to surprise us. Listen to verse 11. To you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to them, it has not been given. What? What is this secret? This mystery? Now, the answer is that the kingdom of heaven was indeed breaking into this world, but in a way that completely defied all expectations. God's mighty rule was doing something far more radical than simply restoring Israel to her former glory. Now, God was dramatically intervening to redeem a vast multitude of people, as well as creation itself. We're talking about redemption on a cosmic scale. And this whole plan centred on the apparent weakness and humility of the person of Jesus. Jesus. And so this mysterious secret of the upside-down nature of the kingdom of God is the main reason why Jesus taught in parables. He didn't want to incite the crowds to take up arms, to pick up their swords in a military uprising against Rome. He had come to deal with the real issue the very foundation that causes all evil and suffering and heartache in this world, he had come to deal with the problem of sin. Jesus goes on to make some even more shocking claims in verses 12 and 13. For to the one who has, more will be given. He will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Jesus is talking about the spiritual responsiveness of people to what he says, and ultimately to who he really is. And the reality is that how people respond to Jesus reveals the spiritual condition of their hearts, the soil. And that's what Jesus is really interested in for all of us. Our hearts, the core of who we really are inside of us. So what Jesus is saying is that those who turn away from God and reject his word will lose any ability to understand what Jesus is saying. But those who receive God's word will gain even more spiritual understanding. There can be no sitting on the fence, folks. You know, as you go through the Gospel accounts, it's fascinating to trace the response of the crowds to Jesus. At first thousands, maybe even tens of thousands were flocking to hear Jesus all over Galilee and Judea. And Jesus is teaching about the kingdom of God, what God's rule is like, what it means to follow Jesus as his disciple and as he does this more and more people just drift away. No, not for me, thanks. And through it all Jesus is asking the question are you with me? Are you with me? Uh, In Matthew 12, verse 30, Jesus himself says, Whoever is not with me is against me. There's no sitting on the fence. Jesus says, Are you with me? And then Jesus quotes one of the most famous passages of the Old Testament. The commissioning of Isaiah as a prophet of God... In chapter 6, you might recall this awe-inspiring vision. I commend it to you. If you have your Bibles there, turn to it now. Isaiah is overwhelmed by the true majesty and the power and the glory of the living God of the universe. He is overwhelmed. Woe is me. And then, after his guilt is taken away, his sin is atoned for, he is given a message... To bring to Judah, God's people. Now just imagine, you'd be sweating on getting that message right. You'd be wanting to get every word absolutely right, written down. You want to be very accurate in bringing God's message to God's people. And what was this message? We see it in Isaiah chapter 6 verses 9 to 11 and I'm going to read it for you now. The Lord said to Isaiah, Go and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull, and their ears heavy, and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. This is exactly what Jesus is quoting 700 years later. And he is saying that Isaiah's prophecy is fulfilled again by those who do not accept Jesus. Their failure to understand and perceive reality reveals their blindness to spiritual reality. What is really real, what is truly true, they are blind The truth of Jesus. In contrast, Jesus has a message for his disciples, a very ordinary bunch of people, working people just like you and me. And what is his message in verse 16 of Matthew chapter 13? Blessed, blessed are you. Blessed are your eyes, for they see, and for your ears, for they hear. For truly, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see and did not see it. And to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Blessed are you. Do we see what Jesus is saying here? Do we hear what Jesus is saying to our hearts today? God's kingdom rule has broken into this world. But so many people, even today, cannot see this. It's hidden in plain sight. Thankfully, in the third scene of Matthew 13, uh, Jesus explains the meaning of this parable. And the simple point he's making, it's a very simple point, is that there are many different responses to the word of the kingdom. That is what the seed represents. Oh, that's really good. Uh, In the parallel account in Luke chapter 8, verse 11, Jesus says that the seed is the word of God. And if we remember the last words of Jesus' parable in verse 9, he who has ears, let him hear. In other words, listen. Listen well. Really listen to what Jesus is saying today. It's on this note that Jesus goes on in verse 18. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. Jesus is simply saying if you don't get what he's teaching, you will reject it. It just doesn't make sense. The devil is likened to an ugly black crow gobbling up the seed in the rock hard paths so that they'll never bear a crop. And sadly, this was the experience of some of the Jews back then. Sadly, it is the experience of some people, many people today. What's the point of following Jesus? It just doesn't make sense. Jesus goes on in verse 20. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. People sometimes receive the news with joy, but they don't put down strong roots They don't make it foundational to their lives And when the tough times inevitably come Because of this word They fall away We know from history That the reality was In the first century That followers of Jesus were persecuted They were ostracised They were harmed by both the Jews and the Romans When push came to shove People loved the world More than they loved God They foolishly pursued their own independence above living under God's kingdom rule. The short-term costs of following Jesus were too much. This is a danger in every generation. We can go through the motions of living for Jesus, but ultimately, if we have not tasted how good it is to live under the gracious rule of King Jesus in our lives... Will we love the world more than Jesus when the tough times come? Very challenging. Verse 22, as for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. Now for me, I was really convicted by this example. It is so relevant to us today. The word takes root. It grows. But it grows in the midst of thorns and weeds. The cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches. And these weeds and these thorns choke the plant so much it doesn't even bear a small crop. Isn't this the truth of our own experience? Life is so busy. Life can be so stressful. We can become so burdened. We don't live the fruitful, flourishing lives that God intends for us. Instead, we believe the lie. And this is what it is, folks. It is a lie that if only we can get rich, then we will be happy. It is a lie. And so we end up being greedy. We become selfish. We bring a lot of bad fruit into our life. And ultimately, we become completely unfruitful. So we have here in this parable three massive threats to a life of discipleship following Jesus. Firstly, the devil. Secondly, hardships and tribulation and persecution. And thirdly, the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. But there is a better way, folks. Listen to Jesus in verse 23. As for what was sown in good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty and in another thirty. What a picture of life Jesus gives us here. To really hear the word and to understand the word is the key to a flourishing, fruitful life. A yield of 30, 60, 100 folds reflects a supernatural result. And friends, this is the abundant life that is available for every follower of Jesus. You know, we could rename this story the parable of the soil. It is the soil of our hearts that determines how fruitful the seed is that the sower has sown. Now it's interesting as I was consulting the commentaries and racking my brains Jesus doesn't specifically say here what a bumper harvest is meant to represent what does it symbolize but I think Jesus gives us plenty of clues elsewhere in the gospels So turning back one chapter Matthew 12 verses 33 to 35 Jesus declares that a tree is known by its fruit Matthew 12:33 What we say and what we do reflects what is in our hearts. Over in John chapter 15, Jesus describes himself as the true vine and that everyone who abides in Jesus, for everyone who remains in Christ, will be exceedingly fruitful, according to John 15.5. About 20 years later, the Apostle Paul describes the life that characterizes Jesus' followers. The incredible reality is that when we become a Christian, the Spirit of God has a transformative effect on our lives. And this transformed lifestyle is described as the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23. Now, if you've been around church circles for years or even decades, you can probably rattle off the fruit of the Spirit without a moment's thought. I think there'd be even children here that could tell me what the fruit of the Spirit is. But we need to stop we need to pause. We need to reflect upon what a beautiful set of characteristics these are. What a beautiful set of characteristics this would be in relating to other people. And this is especially the case when we think of the opposite of these fruit. So keeping in mind Galatians 5:22 and 23, would you rather deal with someone who is marked by love or by selfishness? By joy or bitterness Peace or turmoil Someone who is incredibly patient Or someone who is constantly irritated Someone who is the personification of kindness itself Or someone with a mean streak Someone who delights in goodness Or someone who is always scheming evil Faithfulness or someone who is deceptive and treacherous Gentleness Or someone who is harsh Someone who is self-controlled Or someone who de- demonstrates profligate ill-discipline I think when we really think about it The answer is obvious We delight in relating to others Who demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit And we, wanting to, we want to demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit In our lives as well And so it is only through Jesus that we can be transformed from the inside out to live the flourishing life that is described here in Matthew 13 today. So I have a question for you. How is your heart? How is your heart today? Are you flourishing spiritually if we are honest with ourselves, if I'm honest with myself, my experience is not always like this. Our experience is not always like this. We all struggle. We all face so many challenges in life. But the truth is this. There is an active conspiracy to rob us of our joy, to rob us of our passion for life, To rob us of our vitality. There is an active conspiracy to rob us of our life itself. Now friends, bad news is the busyness of life is not going to slow down, sorry. But we also need to be aware that we have an enemy who actively seeks to distract us, to discourage us and to destroy us. He delights in using entertainment to make us passive, to make us unresponsive, to make us docile. And I'm looking at myself here. Whether it's mindlessly surfing the net for hours, binging on Netflix, lying comatose on a lounge in front of the telly, the devil has a million schemes to rob us of our joy. Now don't get me wrong. We all need rest. We all need recreation. We all need to be refreshed and recharged in life. And we all have different ways of doing that. But all things in moderation. The ancients had a word for this very modern condition that I'm speaking about. Acedia. Acedia, I think it's Latin. Acedia is a terrible condition, far worse than sloth. It's a spiritual passivity that ultimately leads to no conviction. No conviction in life. No joy in life. And certainly no flourishing in life. So when this is combined with the relentless materialism and the wealth and the advertising that we're bombarded with on every side, no wonder... We're not flourishing and enjoying the abundant life Jesus intends for each one of us. So let's finish with some practical tips on how we can flourish today, no matter our circumstance. Well, the first thing is we need to be made spiritually alive. Jesus talks about being born again, to be born from above in John chapter 3. And one Peter chapter one verse twenty three makes it crystal clear that before we can demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit in, the li- in our lives, we need to be made spiritually alive. one Peter one twenty three, you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. This is the absolute non-negotiable if we want to be spiritually alive. If you're unsure of this, do not leave today without doing business with God. We would love to pray with you. We'd love to talk with you. We'd love to help you come into spiritual life today. The second thing that we do is that we listen. We listen to the words of Jesus. We hear him speak. And this happens when we prayerfully get into the Bible and allow the Holy Spirit to convict our hearts. There are no shortcuts, folks. Somehow, in some way, we simply must get our daily bread into us. Whether it's reading God's Word as soon as you get up, or you listen to an audio Bible on your phones, or you meditate on one scripture verse throughout a whole day, whatever we simply must get God's word into us every day. But it's so hard, isn't it? It is so hard to listen. I empathise with you because I struggle the same way. We are so distracted. Again, I want to emphasise this is not an accidental byproduct of living in the digital age. We have a spiritual enemy who is intentional about robbing us of our joy. He knows that if he can distract us, no matter what it might be, he can minimise our fruitfulness and our effectiveness and rob us of our joy. The third thing we do is that we receive. We do what Jesus says. This is the most basic thing. King Jesus is our teacher. We are his followers, his Learners, his students, his pupils, his disciples. We put into practice what Jesus says. It's not rocket science, folks. But the astonishing thing is that this good news has a powerful healing effect on all the emotional wounds that we carry around with us. Things that happened to us when we were children, things that have happened to us in life, things that are happening to us today, we're not only saved, but we're also transformed and we're healed and we're sanctified by Jesus' power working through us by word and spirit. Good news indeed. Finally, folks, we sow as well. Like the sower in this parable, we must profligately sow the word. The sower recklessly flings the seeds everywhere on the path Rocky places, good soil, everywhere. Ditto for us. Now what does it mean practically? Do we all have to get some tracks, go and preach in Queen Street Mall or maybe up at Westfield at North Lakes? Well, it's not a bad idea actually. I just dug out some tracks the other day. It's just handy to have a few with you. You never know when you might have an opportunity to hand them out. But no, we don't all have to go and preach at Queen Street Mall. But what it does mean is that we are very intentional in all of our normal, everyday interactions about Jesus. In our conversations, we look for opportunities just to fly the flag. Hey, what did you do on the weekend? Had a great time at church or hanged out with my friends studying the Bible on Thursday. We testify and bear witness that God's King is Jesus. We bear witness through our actions, but especially through our words. Friends, we can only flourish in Jesus. His kingdom has been inaugurated in the person of Jesus. Through his life, death and resurrection, God's rule has broken through into this dark world. And I've got good news. This good news, this kingdom, his church is spreading throughout the whole world. He wants us to play our part In enjoying the abundant flourishing life The life of the age to come Right now, today Here at North Pine Let's open our hearts To his work In us today So that he can So that we can live The transformed, abundant Fruitful life that he intends For all of us Let's pray and ask for God's help That we can experience this in our lives today my gracious Father, we thank you so much that you did not leave us wallowing in our sin and in our misery, separated from you and under wrath. We thank you that you took the initiative to send your son into this dark world to inaugurate your kingdom through his life, his atoning death, and his resurrection from the dead. We thank you that in this very simple parable, Lord, we learn of your desire for us to live an abundant life, a life that is flourishing, a life filled with joy and all the other fruit of the Spirit as well. We pray against the evil one who wants to rob us of our joy. We pray that we might delight in your word, that your Spirit might make it come alive in our hearts and that we might recklessly and profligately sow this good news with all those we come into contact with every day. Lord, We are not equal to such a task. We are so weak. We are so distracted. But we know that we have the victory in our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray for your empowering by the Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We are going to transition to a time of communion. And so I'd like to invite the stewards forward. And in light of my knee, I might actually just stand here while the stewards come forward. Friends, we've just read about the fact that life is only found in Jesus. Real life, spiritual life, abundant life. And Jesus made it possible for us to share in this abundant, eternal life through his sacrificial death for my sins. Through his sacrificial death for our sins. Jesus celebrated the Passover the night before he was betrayed. It was a very special meal. And at this last supper before he was betrayed, Jesus gave some very specific instructions to his followers to remember his death and resurrection until he comes again. Jesus is coming again. He is coming to fulfill His kingdom rule, which will be a glorious day. So let me just read to you these very familiar words that Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 11. I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this... Let me pray and then the stewards will hand out the elements.